Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk chapter one. We're gonna also look at Acts chapter 13, but if you've got a traditional Bible, I want you to turn to Habakkuk chapter one because most of what we're gonna talk about, it comes from there, which if you don't know where Habakkuk is, go to Matthew Take a left five books and you'll be there. If you don't have a traditional Bible, you can go to the Welcome Center and they'll give you one. We'd love for you to have one. It's our gift to you. But what we really want for you to do is for you to use your version or your Bible app since we've already uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures. If you don't have that app, you can scan this code and it'll take you there. Trust me, it's got so many amazing things for you to do. My son and I have been doing Bible plans together. Pastor Sonny and I have been doing Bible plans. And so you have the opportunity to interact with people and you can take notes, keep notes for each other. And so it's just a great all around tool and resource for you to have in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, If you didn't hear last week's message, please go back and listen to it because I did lay a foundation that believers can in fact be in demonic bondage and it's nothing to be afraid of, but it is something to be aware of so that you'll know how to get out of it. And can I just say that Satan is mad about this series. Like some of you felt that all this past week. He's doing everything he can to stop you from hearing it because the truth is the thing that sets you free. So do everything you can to be here uh, for the rest of this series. Pastor Sonny's going to do a message. Uh, Pastor Barry's going to do and Pastor Dallas is going to do. And I think I'm going to I'm going to close it out, but let me keep going this week with a message that we're calling Beware of Chaldeans. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. We cherish you. What a day, God, you have given us. What a day that you have made. And so, God, we've already rejoiced, but we're going to continue to rejoice. We're going to continue to be glad in it. God, I pray today that as your word becomes life, that our hearts and our minds Our spirits would be emptied of anything residual, of anything that is of us, and that place would be replaced with things that are of you. Fill our hearts and minds with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Beware of Chaldeans. I'm going to flesh that out more when we get to Habakkuk, but but in Acts chapter 13, it talks about these same people, but it puts a, a different, really important identification on them. This, this message is like last week for warning that it is more academic than it is entertaining. And so uh, there's a lot of content. So forewarning. So if you're going to try to keep notes in your phone, I, I don't think your thumbs are going to be able to keep up. Uh, so just take, if you're going to use your phones, just screenshot stuff, take pictures. There's a couple slides you're going to want pictures of. And so uh, you can go back and study it or go back during this week. I, I, I had one of our friends who, uh, who serves here, tell me in between services that she watched last week's uh, four times already. And so, that, man, that's, that's amazing. And so go back, digest it. Same thing uh, with this, because in Acts chapter 13, Paul is in a place called Antioch at Pisidia, which, which won't matter to most of you, 
Uh, but for all the Bible nerds like Pastor Sonny, who's watching from North Carolina, getting ready for the team to get there, this is different than the place called Antioch at Syria. Antioch at Syria is where the great New Testament church was. It was the church that actually sent Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries. It was probably the greatest missionary church the world has ever known. Paul's not there. He's He's in a different Antioch. He's in Antioch at Pisidia, which Syria and Pisidia were regions, kind of like states. So same city name, but different state or different region, different part of the world, if you would. It would be like Paris, Texas. I'm sure it's a nice place, but I I wouldn't call Paris, Texas the real Texas. So Paul preaches a message in Antioch at Pisidia about Jesus, and he ends the message with a caution. And I I wanna show you that caution today. He says, beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets, and that's Habakkuk where we're going, lest what's been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Then he quotes a verse from Habakkuk chapter one. He says, behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Now, he's referencing the fact that God became a man and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again. He's declaring, referring to the fact that the Messiah has come and provided salvation, but he's saying, you won't believe it, even though people who've seen it tell you. And then he gives them a reason why they won't believe it, and it's from Habakkuk. And and what he's telling them is, there's an enemy who's trying to blind us to and from the truth. And he quotes this Old Testament scripture that they all would have been familiar with. But I want to go back and I want to read the contents, the context of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. This is where this is where we get the verse that Paul quoted. He says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Now, before we read verse six, let me tell you that he's, he's about to talk about Chaldeans. And Chaldeans are an Old Testament type of demon. They are the enemies that come against the people of God. Watch the next verse. He talks about Chaldeans, but watch how we can relate this to demonic spirits. He said, for indeed... I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth. Now watch what they're trying to do. To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. We talked about this last week that the word possess doesn't always mean ownership. It means to gain mastery over. They're trying to gain mastery. They're trying to gain control over dwelling places that aren't theirs, places that don't belong to them. Now, in that day when Paul quoted this scripture, if the, if, the, if the listeners would have gone back and read Habakkuk 1 to see where he was saying, beware, lest it come upon you, the skeptics would have said, Paul's out of his mind. Paul's crazy because there aren't any Chaldeans anymore. The Chaldeans had been utterly destroyed in 539 BC, like 600 years before this. After 539 BC, the Chaldeans were never again referred to as a nation or even as a people group. They were utterly destroyed. So I want to ask you, I want you to think about this. Paul says, beware lest what was spoken of in the prophets, the Chaldeans, come upon you. But there wasn't any more literal Chaldeans. What would he have been talking about? He was clearly talking about demonic forces. And he's saying, you better beware. Because they're trying to take places. They're trying to possess places. They're trying to possess dwellings that are not theirs. But 
They're trying to do that through what you see on your TV and your computer and your tablets and your phones and on billboards all over town in this most disgusting, worst holiday season that we have throughout the year. They're, they're trying to, to take over places, you that are not theirs. They're trying to gain mastery over your marriages and over your kids, over your mental health. They're, they're trying to possess your finances. Now, now let me show you again how Chaldeans represent demonic spirits. There's three things I want you to know about demons. Number one, they're thieves. It says they're trying to possess dwelling places that are not there. So we need to understand Satan's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But a lot of times when the Bible talks about Satan, it's actually referring to the work of Satan, not Satan himself, because Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's, he's not what you call omnipresent. Omni means all. So omnipresent means in all places. God is omnipresent, by the way. In fact, theologically, we know God is three things. He, he's omnipresent, which means all present. He's omniscient. Omni is all. Science is knowledge. So God is all knowing. And number three, he is omnipotent. Potent means powerful. He's all powerful. So God is all powerful. He's all knowing. And he is in all places at all times. Satan is none of those things. So he can only be in one place at a time. When he, when he tempted Jesus, by the way, that was him. That actually was Satan because Jesus merited his personal attention. But I've had over the years, other people that have come to me and said, Pastor, like uh, Satan came to me. Uh, I, I don't know if that was Satan himself himself. It might be a little lofty to think that Satan himself came to attack you to get you to eat one more scoop of ice cream. I'm just saying I could be wrong about that. But, but he does have an army of demons who do his work for him. And Jesus actually talked about that. There was a woman who, who had a spirit of infirmity. And he said, shouldn't this woman who Satan has kept bound be released from her bondage? So Satan did have her bound but he had her bound through one of his demons, through a spirit. Does that make sense? So when, so when the Bible talks about the work of Satan, it's important that we understand that there is an army of demons doing that work. And they are trying to possess dwelling places that are not theirs because they're thieves. So there's, there's a lot of scriptures similar to this in the Old Testament. Let me just read you one from the Psalms. It, it says, don't keep silent, O God. Don't hold your peace. And don't be still for behold your enemies, demonic spirits, make a tumult and those who, who, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. Now watch what the demons do. They've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted against your sheltered ones. They've said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Now watch this. Who said, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. I'm telling you, they're coming after you. They're trying to stop the church from fulfilling its purpose. If you're going after God, they're coming after you. They're not going after unbelievers. They already have them. They're coming after the believers to keep them defeated so that we, the believers, don't win the unbelievers to Jesus. Now, I'm making a case that Chaldeans represent demons. Let me show you something that I read this week. It's, it's how the exhaustive dictionary of Bible names defines Chaldeans. It says Chaldeans as it were demons. 
The root word means to lay waste or to destroy. And the actual word means wanderers. Chaldeans, they were wanderers. I want you to remember that because I'm gonna tell you more about that here in just a minute. But watch what Jesus says about demons. He said, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, which means it was in the person, but when it goes out, watch this, it wanders. See the correlation? The, the Chaldeans are wanderers. Demonic spirits are wandering and they're trying to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. It wanders, this is the spirit, it wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Watch this. Then he says, this is the demon. Then he says, I will come to my house, my, I will come to my house from which I came, the house that he was sent out of in the last verse. And Jesus tells us three really important things about the house here. He says, and when he comes, the demonic spirit, and he finds it, the house, empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and brings along seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and they live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, now notice how the demon can come back in. Because when it comes back to the house that it left, it finds it swept and put in order. But here's the key word. It finds it empty. How many times do people come to Jesus, get saved, get their act together, get their lives all swept, cleaned up, and put in order, but they don't fill their house or their hearts with the word of God? This is why, the, why it's important for you to not just attend Life Church, but for you to, to catch the vision, for you to go through Discover Us. It's the first and third Sunday of every month, for you to get involved, for you to volunteer, for you to get into a life group, for you to go through Journey to Wholeness, for, for you to go through Pastor Barry's Discipleship Culture class. The next one's November 11th at 10.30 a.m. I'm saying you need to fill your house. You need to fill your heart with the Word of God. How many people do you know who got saved? How many people do you know who got saved and they did great for a little while, but then they went back into bondage and the bondage that they went back into was actually worse than the bondage that they came out of. And it's because we're in a war and demons are wanderers and they're looking for a body to inhabit. Don't leave room for them to come in. So, so let me point out a couple things about Chaldeans because you probably haven't spent a great deal of your life studying Chaldeans. So let me just give you a couple of things about Chaldeans that maybe you didn't, you know, you didn't put together, you didn't, you didn't realize. The, the Chaldeans actually took over Babylon. A Babylon, one of the great uh, dynasties of the world. As a matter of fact, King Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean. Now the Assyrians, who also were a great dynasty, uh, incidentally, the Chaldean people never outside of Babylon, never occupied another place, Chaldea as a place was about the size of New Jersey. And so they are not many. It doesn't take many. Just, that's a side note. The, the Assyrians, who were also a great dynasty, they, they used to appoint the kings of Babylon. Uh, but the Chaldeans conquered both Babylon and Assyria, and Nebuchadnezzar then took over. And when he took over, and many of you have heard this story, when he took over, he sets up a 90-foot golden image and tried to force Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship it, which by the way, those aren't their real names. That was their Chaldean names. Their names were actually Hananiah, Michael, and Azariah. But when they, when they, 
were captured, they were given Chaldean names because the enemy will always try to change your identity. He will always try to change how you identify. And when, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took two things that Satan's trying to take today because he's a thief, demons are thieves, all right? Let me show you the two things that he stole. It's in Daniel chapter one. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the, into his hands and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the young nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but they were good looking. I mean, I probably would have been taken. I'm just saying I probably would have been... Seized. The next verses, they definitely validate that. They were gifted in all wisdom. They were possessing knowledge. They were quick to understand who had ability to serve in the king's palace. In other words, he took all the young future leaders whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Mm, sounds familiar. Have you been to school lately? And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies so they would get in bondage to the lust of the flesh and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. All right. Let me tell you two things Satan is trying to steal. He's trying to steal the tithe and the next generation. That's what Nebuchadnezzar stole when he went into Israel. He took the gold and silver from the temple that was dedicated to the Lord. That was the tithe. And he took the future leaders. And it's how the enemy comes against you. When he took the children of Israel into bondage, he came against them with what they put in their mind, with what they put in their body, and by taking what belonged to God. By the way, 1 John tells us that it's the lust of the flesh, which is what you put in your body. It's the lust of your eyes, which is what you put in your mind. And it is the pride of life, the thing that you think belongs to you that doesn't. Now, you might be wondering how this relates to the tithe. And this is my response. And I want you to listen carefully to me because I'm going to say something that is totally strong. And some of you are going to get ticked off when I say this. And that's fine because you're probably not already doing it. Any person that doesn't tithe is arrogant because that person believes and all the tithers clap because that person believes that they can make it better by doing it their way rather than God's way. And they, the Bible literally says, when you don't tithe, you are stealing from God. And you've got to be pretty dadgum arrogant to steal from God. And I want you to understand, if you don't tithe, that's an open door to demonic spirits because you're acting in the spirit of the enemy because he's a thief. And when you hold back your tithe, you're allowing Satan to get you to be a thief too. And I don't say that to make you feel condemned. I don't say that so that you and I can get in some argument about tithing or so that you'll give more money today because we already took the offering. But if I love you, I have to tell you it is an open door. And no matter how many other doors you close in your life, if you are not a tither, you will always have an open door to the enemy. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. He stole the tithe and he stole the next generation. So number one, Demons are thieves. Number two, they are vicious. You need to know that Satan never has a good day. <laughs> he never has a merciful moment. Let's look back at Habakkuk. It says they're terrible. They're talking about Chaldeans or demonic spirits. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves, which is another reason why they think that they can steal from God. Their horses 
also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sands. Let me show you one thing from that. It says that they're like wolves. Uh, there's a few other scriptures that describe the enemy this way. Ezekiel says, her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing at the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Again, this refers to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Zephaniah says, her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone until morning. Let me tell you what that means. It means they feed at night. Can I just tell you something about when demons will attack you? They will attack you at night. They'll wake you up in the middle of the night and start trying to get you to take your thoughts in the wrong direction, in the wrong way. Like, am I telling the truth or not? And the best thing that you can do when you can't sleep is read the Bible or pray, which may sound nerdy, but otherwise you'll end up doing something or watching something that you shouldn't watch or do. They attack us at night. Here's a New Testament scripture on wolves. It says, for I know this. This is the apostle Paul. He says, for I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Clearly, Paul, who wrote this, was using wolves as a metaphor for demons. He was saying, when I leave, demonic spirits are going to try to come in, and they're going to try to come in to the sheepfold. We established this last week. That's the church. Yeah. I read an article about wolves not long ago. It's pretty interesting. It's, I pulled this out. It says, when wolves appear most casual and innocent, even interest, interesting to watch, they're actually studying you and sizing you up for attack. The more indifferent they seem, the more serious the danger. They're, pre they're preparing for the pack attack. The more comfortable they appear, the more deadly they are. Wolves are vicious. I don't care how cute they are or how innocent they look. If you see a wolf off in the distance, and I know hunting scene's about to come up, if you see a wolf in the distance and he's just standing there, he's studying you to learn your movements so he can attack you. I think cats are doing the same thing, by the way. Why do you think their tongues are rough? They're not so they can tickle you when they lick you. It's so that they could be sharpening their teeth and claws at all times. Anyway, just back to wolves. They, they watch, they study, they look for weaknesses and wait for their prey to be isolated and they attack the sheep that are on the fray. They go after the ones who are out on the fringe. Listen, this is a sheepfold. You are sheep and there is a wolf that's trying to get you. If I were you, I wouldn't be on the fray of the church. I wouldn't be on the fringe. I'd get right in the middle of the sheepfold. I would get right next to the shepherd, which isn't me, by the way, and it's not Pastor Dallas. The shepherd is Jesus. I'd get as close to the shepherd as possible. Because wolves are vicious and they attack in packs. And when they look alone, they're not. They're doing recon. And when it sees a weak or isolated sheep, it starts howling. And when it's howling, it's calling other wolves to the attack. And they surround you and they attack from every possible side. And Satan never has a merciful moment. 
He never has a time when he gives you a break or he lets up. In fact, the Bible says he is constantly accusing the brethren day and night. I mean, you'd think when a person goes through a tough time or has a tragedy in their life, Satan would let up on them. He would give them a break, but that's actually when he attacks. I mean, just let me tell you how bad Satan is. And this is scripture. If he, had, if he had his way, he'd kill every newborn baby just like he did when Moses was born and when Jesus was born, which makes me wonder how could he do that today? And the Bible says demons don't respect the young or the old. They're vicious. Until they took over Babylon, the Chaldeans actually lived in marshes. They were expert, uh, they were expert archers. And, and when their enemies were trying to trudge through the marsh, when they were getting stuck, when they were trying to look where they were stepping, that's when the Chaldeans would shoot. They'd actually shoot them in the back. It's the exact same way with the enemy. When you're trudging through life, when you're getting stuck, when you're trying to look where it is you're going, that's when he's going to shoot you. So they're thieves, they're vicious, and number three, demons, they are cunning. Remember, it said they've taken crafty counsel against your people. They're cunning. Uh, the first Chaldean that actually ruled Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he didn't actually even go in as a warrior. He went in and he became a friend. And the, the, the people got used to him. They got comfortable with him. And he actually ruled over them for 10 years before the king of Assyria, who again appointed the kings of Babylon at that time, even found out that he was ruling. And, and when he found out that he was ruling the Assyrians. They went in and they removed him, uh, but it left a void. The throne, the throne was actually empty because Nebuchadnezzar, he had planted a seed. The people had developed an appetite for him. And that void was filled seven times stronger 20 years later when his son, Nebuchadnezzar, who, had, who we had talked about earlier, became king. That's how demonic spirits are. They move in. And when you get comfortable with them, when you get comfortable with people gossiping around you, when you get comfortable with people telling crude and inappropriate jokes and stories, when you, when you, get, when you get comfortable with people talking about stepping out on their spouse when they're having a work wife or a work husband, you, you get around people who get comfortable with fear, that's when they take over. Interestingly, the term Chaldean is synonymous with astrologer, magician, or sorcerer. Let, let me just show you one place it says that, Daniel 2.2. 2, it says, then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell him his dream. That, that was their desire, to be synonymous with magicians or astrologers. And, and magicians distract you so they can deceive you, while astrologers deceive you while they can distract you. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He deceives you so he can distract you and distracts you so he can deceive you. So that instead of you trusting that God determines your future, the enemy will tell you things like, oh, no, 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 the stars can tell you what your future is. But that's a lie. Don't believe that. Don't read your horoscope or have some person read tarot cards to you. That stuff's demonic. And the future that they're telling you comes from demonic spirits making predictions based on your patterns or your family history, and they're really just feeding on generational curses, telling you that you'll always be in poverty, your family will always be in addiction, that your dad was unfaithful, so you'll be unfaithful, your sons will be unfaithful, but Jesus determines your future, and he's already told us the plans that I have for you. 
are for good and not for bad, for a future and for a hope. So when you sum it up, demons are trying to distract you, deceive you, and determine your future, okay? Back to Habakkuk. It says they take up all of them. They, meaning the Chaldeans or demonic spirits, they take up them, meaning people, with a hook. And the verse before this referred to men as fish. So it says they, demons, take up them, humans, with a hook. They catch them in their net and they gather them in their dragnet and they rejoice, the demons, and are Glad. They, they basically want to figure out what bait you like, then figure out when to put that bait in front of your face. Like, like even when he was tempting Jesus, Satan thought, okay, here's the bait, bread. He's been fasting, so I'll bait him with food. Of course, Jesus didn't bite the bait. So the Bible says, watch this. So Satan departed from him until a more opportune time. Meaning Jesus defeated that temptation, but he never stopped being tempted. And the devil never stopped running the algorithm of what it was. Demons are like, are like, your, they're like Google on your phone. My son texted me yesterday. I'm uh, next week going to Las Vegas because they're going to go play the Raiders. And uh, my son texted me and said, hey, when you go to Vegas, go to the sphere. He texted me it. I didn't say it with my mouth, nothing. Hey, when you go to Vegas, make sure you go to the sphere. I text him back because I'm old. What's the sphere? <laughs> he does the, you know, the, fate, the, the emoji your kids like to text you when they think you're dumb and say, the, uh, uh, and just kind of tells me what it is. Oh, cool, man. So, so the next time I open Google on my phone, guess what the first thing in Google was? You two at the sphere. I screenshot it, sent it to my son. I said, I didn't speak a word. I didn't type it in. He texted me something. Demons got the, the devil's got this algorithm going at all times that he's looking for the one thing. He's looking for that one spot, that one little chink in your armor because they're cunning. They're studying you. I mean, who else other than a mastermind could have a beautiful woman take a bath on the roof of her house at the exact time David would walk out on his balcony? You know how that came together because they had been studying David. The demons had been studying and watching David's movements and they knew exactly when he walked out on that balcony every night. So that's when they put it in her mind to go take a bath. I'm telling you, Satan's cunning. It's why Ephesians tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. That word wiles is from the Greek word methodeia. It's where we get the English word method so that we may be able to stand against the methods, against the schemes against the plots of the enemy. That's what he does. He plots against you. And you need to understand, Satan's not a man with horns, a tail, and pitchfork and red underwear. He wants you to think that. He wants you to underestimate him, but do not. He is not a little imp who sits on your shoulder, tells you to eat another cookie. He is a warrior, and he has an army, and they are organized. The prophet Joel describes them like a swarm of locusts that come in and eat everything in their sight. And the Bible says that they march in ranks, and they don't break those ranks. They know exactly where they're going and what their marching orders are. And the Bible, get your phones out because you want to take a picture of this. The Bible actually shows us seven categories of demons. Thrones, lordships, 
rulers, authorities, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, and evil and unclean spirits. And they go from seven to one in their order of power. What I'm saying is the enemy is running a tight, organized army. And if you are a Jesus person, you are their assignment. You are their target. You are their enemy. In fact, when speaking of Satan himself, Daniel says, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. The word weary comes from the word wear. Satan will attack you when you're weary. The Chaldeans are the ones that stole from Job. Abraham, the father of the people of God, was born in Chaldea and God called him out. So he leaves the land of the Chaldeans. He births the nation of Israel. But later on, when his, when his descendants became weary, they went back into Chaldean bondage. If that's not the representation of Christians, I don't know what is. God delivers us from bondage, but when we get weary, we go right back in. It's why the Bible tells us to never become weary in doing good. It's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, to be sober means to be in control. In other words, don't let something else be in control of you. A person who's drunk isn't in control. Let me say it another way. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't be out of control. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Like, have you ever thought about the fact that we call alcohol spirits? How deceptive is Satan that he'll convince us to walk into a store and buy spirits, then pour those spirits into our bodies and think that if we do that too much, there won't be any consequences. He's telling us not to be under the influence or the control of any spirit other than the Holy Spirit. Now, I told you last week that I'm going to I'm gonna tell you how to close the doors and windows that you've opened in your life. So let me give you three ways as we close. Number one is be sober. I'm not just talking about with alcohol. I'm saying don't let something, don't let, any, it could be people, don't let anything else be in control of you. Number two is be vigilant. That word means be watchful. And it doesn't mean to be afraid of Satan. Yes, I acknowledge that the Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, which can be intimidating because it can be misinterpreted. And the reason that it can be misinterpreted is that most of us, when we think of a lion, we view that like a modern African lion who roars with his fangs out. But with ancient Eastern lions, a roaring lion was an old lion that didn't have any teeth. They couldn't catch prey on their own, so they had to go behind their prey and roar to scare them into the mouths of the young lions. Those are the demons. Here's why I think that the Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion. Because on Calvary, Jesus pulled all his teeth out. And so the book of Revelation says, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, okay? Here's the third way to close the windows and doors in your life, is run to the shepherd. The Chaldeans, uh, demonic spirits are more 
fierce than evening wolves. And then the Psalms says, we are the sheep, we are the sheep of his pasture. The only thing that can protect sheep from wolves is the shepherd. The 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His rod and his staff comfort me. And the shepherd's staff was for two things, to hook the sheep and pull them to safety and to beat the mess out of wolves. The wolf, the enemy has you in his sights and he's plotting, planning on attacking you from every side. So if I were you, I would be sober. I wouldn't be under the control of anything else. I would be vigilant. I would be watchful, but not scared. And finally, I would run to the shepherd. Will you do that today? Will you close your eyes all across this place? Run to the shepherd. The first time that you run to the shepherd is the first time you realize that you are a sheep and you are in danger. It is the process of what we call salvation. This morning, we're going to give the opportunity for people to get saved or for people to enter into a personal relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Salvation really requires two things biblically. It requires uh, confession and profession. Confessing that you have sin in your life that is, that is unresolved and then professing the fact that you believe that Jesus can change that. And so we're gonna, we're gonna give you the opportunity to do both those things here today and here's how. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask with every head bowed and every eye closed for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus to do two things. The first is in just a moment, raise your hand and make eye contact with me. That's your, that's your form of confession. Then secondly, I'm gonna pray a few lines in a prayer that I'm gonna pause and when I pause, I'm gonna ask everyone in here to repeat those words after me. And if you repeat them and you mean them in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like one before I leave with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand? Make eye contact with me. Thanks, 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 thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've sinned in my life, but I don't want it. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Secondarily, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if you're here and you say, you know, Sean, I'm saved. I'm headed to heaven. Uh, but if you're honest, you'd say you've been living your life in some areas on the fringe, on the fringe, some of the things that you're looking at some of the things that you're thinking about, some of the things that you're taking in. It's the lust of the, lust of the eyes, the lust of the heart. The, it's like this overarching ignoring of what you know to be true. If you say, Sean, I'm, I'm on the fringe, but I wanna move towards the shepherd with nobody looking around, just pop your hand up so I can pray for you right now. Yeah, 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 Jesus. Jesus, for so many people, in this place, I pray for blessing. Thank you for their strength and their courage. I pray that you would reward that, that you would protect them, that anyone who has ever emptied out in here of something, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit so that the demonic spirits would be held at bay. Protect our hearts, our minds, our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast. Chew on that. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages 
to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.